Hello and welcome to yet another review show because it's been a year. It's the 2023 year in review show. And as in the past, I've invited a guest host, my friend Guy Anderson on to uh, help uh, just basically have a conversation with me about how the last 51 episodes went. <laughs> with that, here's my conversation with Guy. Guy, thanks for doing this again. Thanks for having me, Jason. So, uh, Guy Anderson, you've been on before to do a quick little blurb on who you are and uh, what we're going to do today. Yeah, I've been uh, a portfolio manager here in Toronto, and you and I have a, a long history. We've been uh, friends, I guess, colleagues for maybe 15 years or so now, right? Something but, like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, we collaborate on a lot of things, and, and I guess your podcast here is, just happens to be one of them. So happy to be involved, and I just wanted to uh, say congratulations on another successful year. Uh, successful just means I keep on doing it. So. Well, that's that's part of the that's part of the the success, right? How many how many podcasts actually fail? Right? So congratulations yeah. on being a very successful podcast in the space and and your continued success. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so it. on that, you had a you also had a successful year. You were invited down to Future Proof, where you where you spoke on technology in the advisor business, and you also spoke on technology in the advisor business at the IAFP event in Edmonton. Can you speak to those before we get into it? Yeah, Future Proof was more, it was a panel gig uh, with a bunch of people, more about what the next generation of clients wants. And the real message there was that the stats show that despite the fact people think these guys, you know, these people want to trade on Robinhood and don't need advisors because they DIY everything, they actually value advice. They actually value service quite highly, but they're disconnected from us. And a lot of that was around us, not advisors, not meeting them where they are online, on their mobiles, whatever else it might be, and, and talking about how technology can help bridge that gap. So it was an interesting conversation. I had wonderful co-panelists and uh, that was great. And then, then the other one was the IFP Symposium where I spoke on artificial intelligence and the future of, of advice. That was very well received. It was very playful. And uh, it's actually landed me two other speaking gigs uh, next year. So I'll be doing that uh, or similar, well, I say that one. I have to update it every time I give it because things keep changing. So. Yeah, so I'll be doing that exchange in uh, February in uh, Florida, and then yet again in Florida again uh, for Wellstack. So we'll see if I get anything else for the back half of the year. Fantastic. So, so one of the takeaways that I keep, I think, I, I hear from your messaging is that the fintech is pervasive. It's it's coming, and it's it's not going to replace advisors. But at the end of the day, those who don't use it will be left behind, right? So it's it's really a tool for advisors to help in 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 creating value and providing service to their clients, but those who don't embrace this might be left behind. Is that the case? I think it comes down to, it's like every other technology. Like it's, it's well, let's, let's, let's take a step back, right? As long as people have had the option to do it themselves, they've chosen to do it themselves, whether it be investing or anything else, right? And there's always going to be a segment of the market that wants to do it themselves. And there's going to be a segment of the market that wants to that wants to be done for them. And there's going to be a segment in the middle that wants someone else to just look over and make sure they're doing the right thing. Michael Kitsis refers to them as delegators, uh, DIYers, and validators. Fair enough. And the reality is, is that the technology is not going to necessarily make everybody suddenly a DIYer, right? It's not. Uh, robo-advisors, discount brokers, all that stuff, they all have their natural clear market clearing. They're, they're not about to just to, to pose all advice. There is a very strong value proposition to sitting across from someone who knows your entire life, who knows the entire financial situation, and can guide you in providing those life decisions. And if anything, What's happening, technology is about efficiency and it's about deliverables. That's basically it. And if we can basically harness those, if advisors harness those properly, they can increase the, their delivery of those at a high level while, while simultaneously freeing up time. That time will be used in one of two capacities. It'll be used to either, either take on more clients, which 
at what some point the technology between your ears just can't keep track of it all and you will not be able to remember who these people are and provide a high level of service or it will be focusing on the same or smaller number of clients but at a much higher deeper level and being able to expand the services the understanding the everything you're doing for them and that's really why i'm not i'm not too concerned i think that that's frankly the direction that we've been heading for a long time is to one that's a more human focused industry not a product focused industry and i think that this all technology is done has enabled us to get rid of all the heavy lifting that we've had to do to focus more on individuals. Agreed entirely. And then, and you brought up a second ago a term I was going to ask you about is artificial intelligence. And that inarguably was the theme of this year, it kind of drove most of the market. So, so where do you see artificial intelligence in some of the fintech products you're using? And maybe you can draw it from some of your comments you made at the IFP and just in terms of where you see it in the advisor business. Yeah, look, I mean, we had a moment this year, and that moment all had to do with generative AI. ChatGPT captured the world's imagination, has been running super fast ever since, despite weird governance issues with the structure uh, at, uh, at uh, OpenAI. And we're seeing more and more little use cases for artificial intelligence pop up constantly. So what's happening? There's lots of ways. There is no one killer AI assistant where you can just verbally tell it what to do. It's going to know what to do. And it's going to continue on. It's going to, it's going to basically do everything you need to right the first time. It just doesn't exist. In fact, all you got to do is just start asking ChatGPT a bunch of questions and you'll see just how often they get it wrong. Um, the, but it will, what it does do is it makes it easier to get started at a lot of stuff and it makes a lot of other things faster. So ChatGPT specifically, hey, it's easier to edit something that, than start with a blank page, right? You can edit, expand, you, can, you want to create an article or something like that. You can put in the subject matter. It'll create a first version of it. You can just go in and start basically editing, changing, doing whatever you want. A lot easier. Generative AI has also gone well beyond text, and we use it for things like generation of images, generation of voice content, generation of video content. And what you're starting to see now, and I've been approached by several, about seven or eight different AI companies looking to get into the advisor space, and they've gone, some of them are, are completely non-developed ideas, very broad. You know, people come to me and said, well, we can, we can summarize meeting notes. Well, yes, yeah, so can Zoom now. So who cares, right? There's a lot of very broad use cases. And those, I think, are going to struggle because that's not going to that's not going to matter. It's going to be commoditized. It's already built into Zoom and stuff like that. What's interesting are the ones I see that are attacking very narrow verticals within the advisor industry. Here is this thing that takes a lot of time, that is a pain in the butt, and that basically eats up a lot of resources. And it is faster, cheaper, simpler, and better, right? So... Uh, I've seen this applied in a couple of compliance areas where it's heavy lifting, it takes a lot of time, it's not something they want to be doing, and turning those processes into real-time approvals versus other ones where, you know, document generation of certain reports that has to be done under regulation that are now being potentially done you know, were two-hour jobs that were outsourced for the equivalent of $250 Canadian to generate them are now going to be generated for the equivalent of less than $100 and will take five minutes. Right. So there's there's lots of little, little incremental gains. And as for the average advisor, what they can do is, I mean, hey, there's I've been responding to emails with artificial intelligence for for quite a while now. They're Grammarly. I've been basically so there's lots of tiny little incremental efficiency gains to be gained through the use of a bunch of small AIs. There is no one killer one. Right. But you can start to pick up and do a lot of things faster if you just learn what's possible in very simple terms. Right. And I'm glad you brought up Grammarly because. Uh... You know, that's the one I was thinking of. I was also thinking about how, how advisors, including myself, will draft an email, but put it in chat GPT and get it to edit it or, or truncate it, shorten it, make it, make it, make it more concise or something like that. So uh, at the very, very minimal, a very uh, 
basic introduction. I mean, uh, AI is AI can be used at the advisor level for sure. So jumping into some of your episodes this this uh, this year, did anything jump out to you as the standout? Because I know in in years past you've you've had one that really uh, jumped out at you as as stunning and and game changing. Did any did anything this year jump out to you this year? Because you did mention to me that there was a lot that you covered this year that that impressed you. But was there anything that stood out? Yeah, in particular, you know, there wasn't a lot of there was no one technology just like floored me. Right? There was nothing like, oh my God, this is the game-changing tech. What I did find was that there were approaches and improvements on multiple areas that, frankly, I think were, were fantastic and or, or will get you to rethink the way you do things. So, I mean, I can go on through a number of them, but I mean, like one of the ones that comes to mind was Lumiant, right? Lumiant is a system for truly trying to, uh, to get to the bottom of what drives your client, right? And what really matters to them. And I, you know, got along with the founder like a house on fire, quite honestly, because basically we, we have very similar views on the industry. And it was it was one that kind of broke my brain about my onboarding process and realizing that I need to spend more time with this kind of values discovery and this kind of like truly getting to the bottom of what drives people because that level of connection is not only valuable from building that relationship from the client, but it's also just, it's, it's also valuable in makes, making sure that we service them properly and everything we need. Uh, you know, I saw other great ones like um, Elements. And actually, funny enough, he came on a second time in less than a year because of good development. And uh, that one, which was a, a tool for better financial collaboration. And really, it was something that would give to a client on their phone, would take you know a couple of minutes to fill out. And within a couple of, with, just by doing that, you would get contextual, technically KPIs of your financial situation that an advisor could start just advising you on rapidly so a tool for getting more advice to the masses and more effectively and quicker the who else was there she's so many honestly i was spoiled one i was going to ask you about is because we've seen a bunch of companies fail in the space where they try to match the end client with an advisor but you had coupler on it sounded like coupler might have found the holy grail of, of, of matching clients with the advisors is that the case you know, it's funny. This year, I had the two ideas, which are referred to as the worst fintech ideas. I constantly see pitched to me on over and over and over again. Uh, I had someone prove to me it could be done in both cases. So, first one was Coupler with Derek Notman. He was a great guy, and frankly, it was the way that they cracked. It was simple, right? It was a values based questionnaire that would lead you to someone who was the right advisor for you on multiple dimensions, not just location or whatever criteria. But the bigger thing that he got right was solving for the problem they all had, which was traffic. And it had always been like, hey, we're going to create this dating service for clients and advisors, and we're going to basically drive all this traffic to it, and we're going to convert that way. And trying to build that kind of traffic from day one is an expensive value proposition. I don't care how sharp you are at SEO or whatever else you're doing. That's just not how people normally go looking for financial advice. Instead, they're a tool that partners with institutions and organizations that already have traffic that that traffic could then basically be capitalized and converted on behalf of the advisors. And it so partnering with, with media companies or websites that basically already have that traffic, websites that are financial, that people would actually go to read financial stuff and then be like, if they want an advisor, here's the way to do it. That was the solution. The solution was basically not to try to create the traffic, but to go to where the people were in the first place. So that made it a lot easier and a lot smarter. Now, the other one that I always said was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard because there was countless dead companies who tried this or companies that survived by pivoting was the uh, build a DIY financial planning app. 
generally does not work very well. Also, the reality is, is that the um, you know, people, the clients don't necessarily go looking for that. You know, there's a subset of people who will absolutely go looking for that, but they're not big enough to actually, in my opinion, to actually not big enough or maybe need require too much training to actually make this a viable business. And that is, I've been proven right on that year after year after year. And I got pitched at least once or twice a year. And then uh, Stephen Chen proved me wrong. Uh, new retirement wealth. Basically, new retirement wealth was smart. What they did was the same thing that Derek did, which was go where the traffic is. Give, create a tool that can be embedded within an experience that already pre-exists that then basically will give people who are there for their financial needs already a tool to work with and play with, right? So you have employer plans, you have basically employer retirement plans, you have other DIY robo-advisors, whatever else. Companies that basically did not have this functionality, but had people there, had people's attention, had their traffic, had their money, and basically gave them something to build off of. And something better than just the convention, the more conventional, like simple goals-based calculator, something that people can get their teeth into, but something they can do so on a progressive level. So they didn't have to necessarily go through this really extensive questionnaire or go through this extensive issue, they would be able to essentially get up and running, do a simple plan pretty straightforward, but then go deeper if they wanted to. So yeah, yeah proven wrong twice. Now that said, uh, happy because these guys are doing a good job. Now that said, you know, everybody else was firing the wrong direction. So I'm pretty sure that worked out. I was right about that one. But it's pretty happy, happy circumstance when, when you get proven wrong on that, especially when like something like uh, Coupler, if they're successful, and you're marrying the right people with the right uh, advisors where they connect on different levels, right? So it's, it's more than just, like you said, financial acumen or something like that, but they might have the same philosophies in life and they get along, they get along ultimately in, in the, with the same concepts and ideas, right? Basically, yeah. And I mean, they even called in uh, Megan Lertz uh, as an advisor to her. And Megan, uh, I will consider a friend at the term meeting her a couple of times and joking around with her quite a bit at the uh, various conferences, who is a behavioral finance expert. And basically using her knowledge to help not just what Derek thought or other people thought, but with someone who understands human behavior and what they're looking for, helping guide them to the right person and, and make sure that that person's a fit. So much better than the entire, let the advisor fill out a questionnaire and then let's try to create some sort of weird dating algorithm that may not may or may not make sense. It's someone who understood the human and the financial side of it simultaneously. So we were just talking about the financial planning, do-it-yourself financial planning software that you didn't think that was going to work. So pivoting a little bit uh, about that, I wanted to ask you about a repeat interviewee, which was Conquest this year. Uh-huh. And, yep. and they're sort of the ones that are sort of, that are recognized as being AI-ish, you know, yep. quotes. Talk about Conquest, talk about what they're up to and how, um, how they're taking over the market. So uh, Conquest been on before, uh, you know, I famously said to them, the joke was when they, uh, when they showed and demoed it to me and I asked, when can I have it? And my exact response was, uh, shut up and take my money. What I saw there, I knew it was going to be groundbreaking in terms of how they made it work. So thus far, they are slowly, they've been slowly eating up the entire Canadian enterprise market. And I think they'll have it completely sealed up in a couple of years, just when certain contracts come due. And then they are, they landed the biggest enterprise contract up for grabs in the US in a while, which was Pershing, integrating into Pershing X, which is their, sorry, Pershing Wove now, which is their next generation custodial platform and data management platform. And everyone I've showed to, showed to in the US has been thoroughly impressed and is dying to get their hands on it. They also managed to raise $24 million in a Series A, which is, to best of my knowledge, an unprecedented raise in the advisor technology space. So they're going hard. Uh, they're already in the UK as well. And they are in other, they're in other jurisdictions and looking to move into more. So as I joke around with these guys, they're, they're Nick, they're, their name may be prophetic. So we'll see. <laughs> Fantastic. 
Yeah, I've, uh, I, I've obviously been very impressed with what they do. So, so moving on to some some other ones that uh, that I particularly had um, that resonated with me throughout the year. Can you tell me a little bit about intentionally, or maybe we can start with intentionally? Yeah, that was a great conversation. Uh, that was uh, Kelly Walchick. I was introduced to Kelly through the ever impressive Tina Powell works for, and we had a conversation really about what it was to market uh, financial advisors and financial the fintech firms. And it was one of those ones where we were just finishing each other's sentences, basically talking about the power of content to actually drive traffic and basically not worrying about giving away secrets, but give it away because sooner or later, because people are going to turn to you to invest in it and how people need to be ready, companies need to be ready for that and, and not just have a plan for how they're going to bring eyeballs to them, but also how they're going to convert them and service them once they have them. So it was, a, it was a great conversation. It was a little outside the norm. I did have a couple of marketing conversations this year, and I think that one worked incredibly well. So. Yeah, I was, I was quite impressed with that one as well. And what about this retirement income? What's it called? Riza or Riza? Oh, Riza. So yes, uh, Wade Fowl and Alex. Um, I forget Alex's name now. I'm going to find it. Apologies, man, Alex. I'll, I'll figure. I'm, I'm looking for it as we speak. Oh, it was Alex, Wade, is was Wade the guy from Morningstar, or where's he from? No, no, Wade. Well, no, Wade was at the American College, and Wade is one of the best-known experts on annuities and annuitization. Ah, uh, that's where I know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and his, pal, and his partner, Alex uh, Murguia. If I pronounced that wrong, I apologize. Anyway, it was an interesting conversation. So it was a it's a fact finding tool, more of a, a a pulse check on discovering what people's retirement income lifestyle is like. And what I mean by that is they are basically looking at it as a two by two quadrant. And that two by two quadrant looks at certainty versus variability. And I think it was, was it optionality. So yes, yeah, so it was a, it's a basically breaks down people's preferences into a couple of different zones, like talks about their need for safety versus um, versus willing to take on risk, talks about their commitment versus their desire for optionality, right? So some decisions are very safe, but also require you to commit heavily. Other ones are more volatile, but do give you optionality and creating a two by two matrix that basically focused on uh, on different strategies like total return approaches, income protection through things like through things like annuities, or, you know, time segmentation, so bucketing strategies, and basically saying like, look, you know, there's, there's as much behavioral preference to how you're going to receive your retirement income as there is math to it, quite honestly. And the best strategy for you is the one that works the best, quite honestly. It's the one that is close to mathematically optimal and humanly optimal, behaviorally optimal as possible. And this helps uncover that. And some people are just just not suited to total return approaches. Some, some people are better off with annuities and then vice versa. And recognizing that most advisors' approaches typically to apply their approach as opposed to listening to the client's approach, a tool for saying, hey, this is what's going to resonate with this client. This is what's going to work. This is what they're actually looking for. Just another way to listen to them and another way to come back and, and actually service them the way they want to be. I've got a couple of others that, uh, that were on my list of ones that I, that I thought I wanted to review. Um, tell us about Practify. Is, it, is that the way you say it? Practify? Practify. Practify. So Practify is a CRM player. And they basically are built off of Salesforce. So unlike some of the other vendors out there, which are Salesforce overlays, meaning a template put over top of Salesforce, they just basically use uh, Salesforce or like AWS, essentially. Like they use Salesforce's platform to build the software from zero. But they do get all the functionality and the power of, of what Salesforce can drive for themselves. So it's a wonderful tool because they're not coding from zero. They're coding from someone else's developed platform. And because of that, they're able to basically move faster and, and do things quicker than some of their competition can. So it's, um, it's predominantly, it was originally out of uh, Australia, came into the US and it's coming to Canada now too. 
And it, I like to say that, you know, when you look at the CRM spectrum, you got Salesforce on the upper end, you got the likes of Redtail, Wealthbox on, on the lower end in terms of like accessibility and ease of turnkey. And you got these guys practify kind of somewhere in the middle, right? You got them in the middle. They, you know, they're, they're not as big a lift as a Salesforce lift and they're more advanced than, or they can do more things and more flexible than, than some of the other vendors. So it was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting conversation. So how would you, how would you compare them to say an accelerate that uses Salesforce as well, would they compare? They're different because, and they're gonna look completely different, right? Because Accelerate is Salesforce, just with its own custom overlay. Whereas Practify looks like a completely different beast and basically runs differently. It runs differently because they built it over top of, you know, imagine it's the chassis of a car, right? The, you know, some manufacturers will have the exact same guts and components on the lower chassis, the, the engine, the, the frame, all of it on multiple lines of cars, right? Same basic principle, Salesforce is their car, but they just use the chassis to build a different car. And, and one that I, I really didn't quite understand is, is underwire me. Is that underwrite me? Yeah. Underwrite me. Yeah. That was a fascinating one. I think that they're responsible for something like, Ooh, I want to say over 50% of all um, underwriting of policies in the UK. And they kind of built exactly what I would want from an insurance system. So the way you apply for insurance now is typically advisor quotes you, then you fill out an application, you find out if they have medical issues or not, and then you maybe or maybe don't know how much it's going to be rated, and you turn around and you apply for the policy, and then you see what comes back. What Underwrite Me does is it does a medical and financial fact find first, right? So you can figure out how much insurance they need, what type of insurance they need, but also ask a bunch of baseline medical questions, not the whole deep dive, but enough. And what they do then is they then show you a ranking of top policies based on price, but not just based on price. They've been now, all those policies have been filtered based on the health criteria. So for example, if one company cares that you stop, considers you a non-smoker if you stop smoking after a year, another one considers you a non-smoker, they'll consider you a non-smoker, but they also want to know if you stopped two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, and that's going to affect premium. And you only stopped one year ago. They're going to recommend the more lax one over the one that's more strict. Right. So because there's because all insurance companies ask for roughly the same thing, but they, they care about it to a different degree. Right. So being able to select in, put in the, the medical variables or whatever variables there are and be able to say, OK, these two are identical policies, but this one cares about this thing. And therefore, if you go to it, you're going to basically get rated more than the other one. Being able to know what that looks like is invaluable because now fewer surprises for the client, the price you're given is actually in context, right? Because it's factoring in any ratings or anything of the sort that are likely to come out of it. And then you can actually start the entire application process through the software and it will handle a bunch of the, of the claims adjudication as well. So, That's claims, we'll do yeah. the underwriting as well. so I found that actually really, really quite amazing because um, because it seems to give the, the person seeking the insurance the, the same sort of... Uh, tenure as someone who's been in the industry for 20 years and understands the underwriting needs or underwriting capabilities of different insurance companies. So it, so it takes out that it shortens the, the, the tenure, the need for actually being in the industry for many years and understanding all the different terms. Exactly. I mean, like these are, these are the types of things that advisors would learn through time to figure out, oh, this is the best company to go to for this and that. And you learn these little tricks. Now they're kind of just coded in and, and it's just making it, again, majority of policies issued in the UK. I don't blame them because they built the widget that needs to be that needed to be built. Creates a, a level playing field for a lot of a lot of people. And so the, those are some of the uh, the companies that that I ultimately wanted to query you about and review from 2023. So as we're going into 2024, is there anything particular? Like, are you full up booked right into the summer, just like no, you were last year? Totally. How's your yeah. 
I'm booked until uh, I'm booked until early February right now. So there's a couple that get a base can come out uh, prior to that, but I've got to I've got to over the over Christmas I got to start booking up again. There's also a bunch of companies getting back to me, and then T3 is happening in January, so I'm sure I'll get a lot of conversations coming out of that one. So I'm not worried. It'll keep going. It'll uh, it'll go another year for sure, and we'll we'll be back here again next year. So any any that you're particularly looking forward to in 2024? Any themes that you think are uh evolving you think ai is going to be a bigger issue next year what are your thoughts on on going forward it's definitely going to be a bigger issue i mean i think that and i made the prediction previously we're probably 18 to 24 months away from most major platform providers in the u.s and other major platform providers launching their own implementation of some sort of artificial intelligence agent within their tool i think frankly knowing how venture capital and private equity money works that they're like, Oh, jump. What's, what are you doing about this next big trend? Well, you got to, you're going to have to address it. But not only that, like you look at the use cases for some of these, there's, here's the challenge with a lot of the AI stuff I've seen. It's a lot of it is, is solutions in search of problems. For example, like, Oh, we can automate this process. And just like, well, the process was three button clicks. So yeah. Right. Whereas other ones are automating two or three hour processes that just are highly repetitive which makes sense. So the the reality is, is that, you know, the other thing is too, is that we just, we're not used to just typing in long, lengthy, unstructured commands into a computer to get it to do something, right? We just don't think that way. So I think what we're going to see is a lot of vendors, I'm sure T3 is going to have a bunch of announcements too, where they're going to be talking about their new artificial intelligence implementation and what they've done. And the use cases I've seen that make sense thus far typically are in a training capacity for advisors on the software. So I don't even know where to find this. So I can just ask it and it will execute it, but it'll also show me along the way. So that, that makes sense as a learning tool, as a, as a tool for research to be able to limit and screen for things faster because you're able to describe what it is you're looking for as opposed to mastering the tool in particular. And for client experience, I've seen a bunch of them used for client experience and whether, you know, and more recently for clients being able to navigate navigate the various tool, various tools and portals. So that makes a lot of sense to me. The process management stuff makes a lot of sense to me. Everything else in between is just very generic. And I don't know what, I'm waiting for the, the impressive implementation that I say, wow, that is accomplishing a ton, but I'm not, I haven't seen it yet. We'll see. Well, I just know that every time I listen to an episode of, of your FinTech Impact, I can't wait to implement it. And then I move on to the next thing. And next week is something better. And so ultimately I don't adopt anything. So. Anyway, but well, this is not yeah. about yeah. You never you adopt the things that basically address the pain point that you have or the gap that you have. But you don't if you try to adopt everything that I have on the show, you'd be out of your mind. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So anything, uh, anything you want to share with your your audience before before we sign off? Uh, just wanted to congratulate again on a successful twenty twenty three. No, my pl- uh, no. I'd like to thank everybody who listened to continue to listen. And whenever you have questions, feel free to reach out. I love hearing back from people. If you have suggestions for anyone who should come on the show, happy to hear it. I think uh, I will say again, this year I was a bit spoiled. I had a lot of great guests and not just great guests who basically uh, from the fintech world, but also just, you know, not just founders, but thought leaders uh, and people who were also experts in areas of things like cybersecurity and marketing and two of the biggest fintech gurus in the world with uh, with uh, Joel Bruckenstein and, and Ian McKenna. So there was a lot discussed. Uh, there was a lot reco- there's a lot covered and there was a lot of really interesting conversations. So I think anyone who hasn't uh, caught up, I'd say take a look. There's a, there's a bunch of things that you should be interested in. Yeah, I'd agree. Go back and listen to 2023 is a really it was a really insightful season. So 
Once again, Jason, appreciate the opportunity to be involved in your uh, in your podcast. Congratulations on uh, on another successful year. I look forward to 2024. Thanks, guy. Always a pleasure. Cheers. So that was today's episode of FinTech Impact, and that was today's year of FinTech Impact. So hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for sticking it out. As, as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify, or as you your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.